Welcome to Unpacking the Digital Shelf, where we explore brand manufacturing in the digital age. Hey everyone, Peter Crosby here from the Digital Shelf Institute. Today, it's never been clearer that performance advertising, forever linked with the D2C startup media darlings of the past five years, is the cool kid on the block. At the same time, mention the word brand building to your CEO and you're likely to be sent to the land of misfit toys. In fact, in his book, Post-Corona, Professor Scott Galloway went so far as to declare the death of the brand age, saying that algorithms, user reviews, and convenience all make the old-fashioned notion of brand irrelevant today. But is all that an accurate view of the world? Will the drug of performance marketing get brands to the future margins and consumer loyalty that longevity requires? To help us answer that question, Lauren Levack and I spoke with John Denny, VP of e-commerce and digital marketing for Kavu Venture Partners. John is a veteran of brand building, performance advertising, e-commerce, and everything in between. So John, thank you so much for lending your brain to our podcast today. We are super honored to have you on. Thank Great you. to be here, Peter. Longtime listener of your podcast, and they're an awesome education resource for folks in our industry. So great job, you guys. Gosh, you were so kind. Thank you. Uh, well, it only happens because people like you uh, take the time to share with the community. So we appreciate that. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about this debate about brand versus performance advertising and what's been going on right now with retail media, et cetera. And you really have a unique perspective given your experience on focusing on both areas of performance versus brand during your career. So tell us a little bit about where you've been and, and how that shaped your views on this debate. Yeah, so I mean, it's really interesting. I've sort of had this bipolar existence um, moving from brand advertising to performance advertising. So one of my earliest um, uh, experiences in my career was at an agency called Shiat Day. And for those of you who don't know Shiat Day, um, it is one of, it's known as one of the most uh, uh, foremost um, centers of excellence for brand and building brand. And it's most famous for building the Apple brand with Steve Jobs. So if you ever read uh, Walter Isaacson's biography of Steve Jobs, he goes into at length um, the experience that Steve Jobs had. He was 12 years in exile. He returned to Apple in 1997 to a company that had lost a billion the year before had only about 90 days of working capital to pay people. And it and the stock was at an all-time low. And it was so bad that his chief rival, uh, Michael Dell, uh, was quoted to a reporter as saying, you know, essentially, hey, Apple should just give all their money back to shareholders and shut the whole thing down. So it was in, it was in <laughs> tough shape. And so what the first thing that Steve Jobs did, he knew he didn't have a lot of time, was to call in Shia Day, Jay Shia and our, our creative director, Lee Cloud because he knew that building a brand had importance both for his internal morale of his team, his company, as well as what he was going to do in the world. So working over the next month or so, that team collectively came up with one of the most famous advertising campaigns ever created. It was the Think Different campaign. Um, here's to the crazy ones. Um, that sparked decades of incredible work that you flash forward to today. And in January, Apple briefly passed $3 trillion in valuation and now uh, you look at Michael Dell's company and Apple is a hundred times uh, the valuation of that company. Um, so incredible sort of experience in the power of branding. Also 
how consumer decision making happens. You know, decades of research about how do how do people choose what they're going to do. Um, decades of research on behavioral economics. Um, we'll talk more about that a little bit later. But so that was a powerful experience. Jump from there into almost a purely performance mindset. So um, I started working at the DDB agency, working with the Altavista search engine. And Peter, I'm guessing since this <laughs> isn't your first rodeo. Yes, uh, I'm you remember old. Altavista. Thank you. I do remember Altavista. Exactly. <laughs> so Altavista, for those of you old school people, know that it was the Google of the 90s, the most powerful search engine out there. I mean, there. it was so, no Ask Jeeves, but okay, I'll give exactly. you that. <laughs> Exactly. But, you know, that experience was incredible understanding, you know, the platform that was going to create paid search advertising. I think last time I checked, it's worth about 60 billion today, but incredible in terms of, you know, response in a performance sort of um, um, atmosphere. And so move from there to CMGI, worked with Dave Weatherall, who was one of the um, inventors of the behaviorally targeted programmatic display ad. That was an incredible experience in the power of performance and targeting. Um, moved later to Advanced Conde Nast and headed up teams all about e-commerce, search engine optimization, paid search, uh, programmatic marketing. So it was all about instantaneous performance. Like you were looking that day at what you did in advertising channels and how it performed to the day, the hour, the minute in terms of results. So again, it's very much bipolar sort of experiences across the landscape. So John, then in your most recent experience with Kavu Partners, it seems like you're really on the cutting edge with the fastest growing consumer brands and D2C brands, and you're working with them over the last few years, like Oatly, Beyond Meat, as well as Buy. What what have you been seeing with those brands? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a fascinating, it's an amazing thing that I get to do from, you know, previously I worked at Buy for four years before joining Kavu Venture Partners, and Buy was an investment of Kavu Venture Partners. And there I was working in a silo, but now the amazing thing we, we so over the last four years, we've partnered with probably 30 brands within our portfolio. Wow, 30, holy Yeah, God. and then we've got all, because we're um, a high profile venture capital organization, if you are a high growth consumer brand out there, you're going to be reaching out to us and talking to us about potentially investing in your brand. So that experience has given us a deep look under the hood at what all these companies are doing in terms of investing to drive the fastest growth that we're seeing in the consumer space today. And so, you know, you, you see these amazing things where you'll see, I'll see something that a company's doing in 2018. And then it looks like they're growing incredibly quickly. And then flash forward four years later and uh-oh, cautionary tale, something's happened and they aren't growing at that pace. So it's really been an amazing education uh, opportunity to really see what works and what may not work over the long term. You know, and John, John, as we talked about at the start of the podcast, we've been seeing this sea change going on across the marketing world, you know, a big shift of money out of brand building activity and into performance marketing. And, you know, in large part due to the pandemic, but also just the rise of digital commerce sort of on its own. And the addition of retail media now, what was it, Amazon reporting $31 billion in yep. revenue from our ad platform. You know, in fact, there was a great quote from a recent Forrester report that you, you shared with us about the spreading skepticism of brand building among company mm -hmm. leadership today. And, and the report said something like, uh, well, not something like, I have the quote. So uh, brand marketing is seen as fluffy. Many CFOs abhor the intangibility of brand. Instead, they latch on to lower funnel performance marketing efforts because of perceived precision and instant measurability of leads and sales. How do you exactly. respond to that? Yeah, exactly. And, and this is something that 
I see across the leadership teams that I interact with across our portfolio brands and all of these brands that we are, we're constantly talking to leadership teams, CEOs, CFOs, CMOs across these high growth brands. And this is the mindset that exists out there. And, and I love this. Actually, there was a webinar um, by the econometrician, Dr. Grace Kite, who is with Magic Numbers based in the UK. And so she looks in her business at, okay, effectiveness of advertising. I spend a dollar here. What was the result in sales? And so she, you know, she was relating on this webinar how she's been tutoring this marketer who's like fast growth startup. And she's saying, well, you're spending all your money in, in performance advertising. You need to balance that. You need to balance something with, you know, with brand advertising. And so he went back to his founder and he talked to his founder and then he came back to, to, to Grace and she said, this is what he said. I said, I spoke to one of the founders about brand building. He was like, yeah, I'm not trying to do what you want me to do. I don't want to become a household name and be famous. I just want to put a dollar in and get $50 back. So she, she described that situation where it's like this perception of the, the money machine. You know, it's a little like a slot machine. You put your money in, but you're guaranteed those bells are going to go off and that money's going to come pouring out. And I understand I live in these dashboards for Amazon search and, and Google search and Facebook performance advertising. And you can get this sense that it's as easy as that. Just throw a couple dollars in. Why do you need to be famous? Why do people have to remember you? Just go with the performance machine. So John, you must have a really interesting perspective working with all these brands to focus on D2C and e-commerce. Are you seeing that the shift out of branding and into the money machine is the right solution? Is that the best direction? What are you thinking here? Yeah, so it's interesting. We talked about this a little bit before. So over the course of four years, I'm able to see what teams are doing early on. And then ultimately what happens three or four years later and so I began to see over the last you know, couple of years, a troubling pattern. You would see these brands growing explosively. And I would talk to them at the earliest stages and say, okay, what are you doing? And they'd be pouring all their money into performance platforms. And I'd say, well, you know, do you want to be looking at anything, mid and upper funnel, anything about driving awareness? And be like, no, like, we don't believe in that. We're accountable. Like we, we, we account for every dollar that we invest in our market. And lo and behold, three and four years later, you know, you see this, this, this growth stall, you know, the cost per acquisition has skyrocketed and the company is, is all growth is stopping, you know, and I joke that like, you know, the, the CMO is yelling at the digital guy, the CEO is yelling at the CMO, uh, the investors are yelling at the CEO, everybody's panicking and saying like, and Grace talks about this. Oh, everybody says, well, marketing doesn't work anymore. Like marketing just is broken. It stopped working. And so here we are, doesn't, doesn't work. Wow. And, and, and so like it was literally yeah. I was having this this thought and, you know, I was thinking I was the only human on the planet seeing this. And then I saw Dr. Grace Kite do webinars talking about this. Uh, David Tiltman uh, from Work Research and James Herman, a brand strategy based out of New Zealand, who's worked with Coke, Unilever, Heineken. They released an amazing white paper that I think you're going to share in the program notes with uh, yeah, with our listeners. Then. Um, all about this issue of um, does brand matter in a performance era, in, a, you know, in the era of digital commerce? Yeah, and when I read that report, I, the, this quote jumped out at me. This move to performance has led a growing number of companies optimizing themselves out of effectiveness as they efficiently convert all available market demand with conversion tactics, then see their performance metrics decline as that demand is exhausted. Exactly. And I've always thought a really good analogy, um, and I've tried to use this with the brands that I talk to, is about 
a farmer who is harvesting a field. So if you think about it, he's got this field and he's got mature crops and, you know, he's doing demand capture and he's harvesting those crops over and over again over time. And so years passed as he's harvesting those crops. And then the challenge is things like competitors come in <laughs> and, you know, the finite demand that existed in that field starts to get less and less and less. If you think about it, you know, real world, world example might be a consumer who's searching for protein powder. You know, they're working out and they're saying like, you know, I, I'm looking for something to add to my morning shake to like, you know, improve my, you know, muscle building. So they go onto Amazon, um, they do a search for protein powder and it returns all of the search results in, in, in Amazon search or Google search. But the reality is there's only a small proportion of the people who are in the market who are actively searching. And then there are a whole lot of people beyond that. I mean, I've seen data from Amazon showing consider consideration set versus people who are just doing demand capture. And there's obviously exponentially more market than there is just in, in the demand capture. Um, but it's like, you know, eventually if you are complete, if you're harvesting that field over and over again, eventually you're just left with a lot of dried stalks and it looks a little dusty like those depression photos we see of Nebraska um, in, the, in the dust bowl. So it gets pretty sad. And John, I really like that analogy because I feel like it's, it's a helps. sad analogy. How can you no, like it? It's sad. The reason why I like it <laughs> Very is sad. because I love it that. is sad, <laughs> but I think it shows that you can't just, especially in a fast paced e-commerce world, you can't just attach to the thing that everyone's talking about. That's really exciting. That's in that moment. And you need to remember that you have to go back to the fundamentals and understand what you need to pick and choose to be successful in addition to all of the new trends that you need to stay on top of and all of the new ways of thinking about e-commerce. Exactly, Lauren. And I've, I've got to tell you, it's almost for the young people I talk to today, I'm saying young, under 30, maybe, there, it appears like there was a generation, generations of knowledge about the way consumers purchase things. And the mindset today has evolved to the money machine. And there's really no uh, it's it's disappearing. <laughs> the, you know, that generational knowledge of all decades of consumer research about how a consumer actually purchases something. We were talking um, before the podcast about um, Daniel Kahneman, who is a behavioral economist. Uh, uh, economist. He um, published, uh, he won the Nobel Prize in, two, in 2002. And he studied this, how humans make decisions. And he basically came up with this idea of system one and system two. System one is instinctual. It, you know, it's, it's your core brain and it's like basically habit. So if you're driving down uh, the highway in your car to work every day and you suddenly look up and say, I haven't focused on driving for the last 10 minutes. Well, that's system one is taking care of everything that you do um, so that you do it automatically. System two is using your brain. It's using more energy. So you, so Brains don't like to do it as much, but it's considered rational thought. I will tell you that most marketers today believe that consumers make decisions with system two, considered rational thought. But the reality, as Daniel Kahneman said, 95% of our decisions are made by system one. They're made instinctually and they're made powered by emotion. Emotion is the fuel that basically decides the decision that you're going to make. And a lot of times they're subconscious. So when I'm influenced by an Apple ad or a Nike ad, and a lot of times I don't even know it, and it's an emotional response that helps me choose. But 
Today, that seems to be lost knowledge. Well, it's also when I think about, John, like the, the meaning, the purpose, the, the energy of brand, the first question that comes to my mind or the first thought that comes to my mind is it's where your margin comes from. Like, and, yes. and when I think about the, the future of D to C brands and, and really any of the brands that, that are out there connecting with consumers or B2B buyers for that matter, um, what you want ultimately is the economics of loyalty. You yes. want somebody deciding to look for you, deciding to stick with you over all the other noise that's in front of them because you built a relationship with them. And performance marketing does not do that. It's a combination, exactly. right? Exactly. And it, and as you think about it, so Peter Fields and Les um, Bennett are adver researchers in the UK, and they talk about this. They've studied in the IPA database, which is essentially the four A's of the UK, and they've looked at decades of the most successful brands, what their strategies were, what they invested in, what ultimately were the outcomes. And they talk about the importance of balancing demand capture with this idea of future demand, of building brand. And the reason is, just as you said, it's, it involves building memories and, and building you know, structures in the brain so that when I'm thinking protein powder, I'm thinking like Vital Proteins is one of our brands. So I'm thinking Vital Proteins. I'm doing a brand search as opposed to a general search. But that takes time that it doesn't happen instantly. I mean, it's like the analogy that I've used is, is this idea of planting a new field. If you're that farmer, you know, you've been harvesting that field over and over again, and you just got a bunch of dried stalks now. You have to look over there, you know, 100 yards to your east, and you've got to plant seeds and you've got to water those seeds and you've got to fertilize that and you've got to keep the animals away and you've got to let those tender plants grow because you can't harvest it in a day or a week or a month. It's going to take many months to build those brand associations, you know, the, those, you know, memory structures so that when the moment comes up, I remember your brand. Um, so we talk about this idea of, and it's interesting, like when I'm talking to a lot of our brands and portfolio brands and other marketers, if I mention the word brand, they're going to run for me because they know their CEO and their CMO is going to be like, and C, you know, CEO, C, CFO is like brand, that fluffy stuff. We don't do that. Here. But when I, when I frame it in terms of future demand, yeah. that you have to create future demand, and then you've got to balance demand capture with that creation of future demand. You can't wait because if you run out, if you've, you're looking at dried stocks and you've harvest that field so there's nothing left, you can't instantly turn to future demand. They have to be done concurrently so, and in a balanced way. And more brands are talking about community too. And I think that really ties into all of this as well. You're building a community that's talking about your brand, that's being loyal, Peter, to your point. They're planting the seeds for you in the fields you can't even see, right? Like exactly. if we continue the analogy, like that's why I think you can see how brands are thinking going towards community. It's different words potentially, yes. but they're starting to realize that they need to think about that kind of future forward planning. Exactly. Future, future demand and building something entirely different than just what I'm doing in the search engines and demand capture. And they're different marketing approaches, right? Future demand exactly. just takes so a different- this, yeah. this is the challenge, just like a muscle. Like I have these brands who are focused all on performance marketing, or I'm talking to them across, you know, across the U.S., and they've been exercising this muscle that's all about performance. And when you think about it, we talked about system one and system two. You know, if I'm a consumer and I'm doing a product search and I see a search ad pop up, 
you can get away with very rational product forward feature benefit focus. Like it's completely dry. If you look at ever do a search for protein powder, you'll see exactly what I mean. It's like, yeah. you know, 1800 electrolytes builds this right. like blah, 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 blah. We like, used to call that feeds and speeds. And the speeds and speeds. <laughs> I was just going to say Dell computer. What did Dell computer focus on? Michael Dell speeds yeah. and feeds yeah. where Steve Jobs was about. No, I want to talk about why we exist. What's our purpose? What are we doing? Why are we here? Emotions. <laughs> so it, you know, you can get, if you're doing performance-based advertising, you can get away with very dry product-driven approaches. But if you're exercising and building this new muscle that is all about building future demand, think about it. You're talking, you're using much wider reach because you're trying to reach wider than the consumer who is just actively searching. So you might be looking at media like, you know, um, uh, programmatic video or um, uh, OTT or streaming television, which I think there's a revolution happening there. Yeah. And you, the consumer is in a lean back mode where it's like they're, they're not focused on searching for exactly what you're selling. They're thinking about something else, like they're watching a program or thinking about the weather. So you have to come up with a creative approach that is much more engaging and, and engages them on an emotional level. And you've got to be distinctive. If you're boring and you do exactly what everybody else is doing and you focus on your product and you do speeds and feeds, Nobody is ever going to notice you in this new world of future demand. So we find it's an entirely new you know, set of experience that we often have to take them through. And this is what our brand. So we have an internal agency called Uncommon at Kevu Venture Partners that partners directly with our brand. And this is what we specialize in. It's like this dual demand capture, but you've got to build future demand at the same time. And the unique skill set of building the right creative, the right voice being distinctive to connect with consumers. And it's those brands who get it right are the explosive brands over the long haul. Now, if you're investing in building the future demand, are, are you still able to attract, uh, to, to track the effectiveness of that spend in a way that your CFO yeah. will be happy about? <laughs> yeah, so it's a great, it's a great question. And so obviously for people addicted to the crack of performance measures and ROAS, you know, highly flawed, short-term measures, there's some challenges there. Now, I'm just going to take a second to talk about why it's flawed. You know, essentially, like, let's say 2017, I ran a Super Bowl ad, spent $4.2 million to run this ad with Christopher Walken and Justin Timberlake. At the same time, I was running hundreds of thousands on Amazon search and Google search. Well, that Super Bowl ad hit. What do you guess happens? <laughs> a lot of demand. A lot of demand, a lot of searching. Yeah. People are searching. They're seeing this new beverage buy, and all of a sudden, they're searching. My searches for Google exploded. My Amazon searches exploded. And so when my CFO looked at the, at the return on ad spend for those channels, what do you think he saw? For a 4.2 million Super Bowl ad spot or for television, he said, that stuff doesn't work. But look at this search stuff. Like, it returns. <laughs> it works like crazy. It's awesome. Like, forget, like, put that same money in the bottom of funnel search. So attribution is broken. The crack that everybody's addicted to turns out it's it's like the wrong drug, baby. I mean, you're you're reading the wrong signals. So what we first try to wean people off a complete reliance on the crack of short-term ROAS, ACOS, CAC. It's all the language that you you hear from addicts. The addicts are people running these companies, the investors investing in them because they don't even know what they're talking. They're just asking, what's your CAC? You know, they don't even know what they're asking for. So we're trying to develop this upper funnel and we're telling them to put in place scoreboards that accompany the short term. So demand capture, put in future demand scoreboards. So these can be things like brand tracking, 
Um, we still find brand tracking to be very, very effective, tracking how many consumers are aware of my brand, how many are aware of the competitor brands in my category, how many are converting, meaning that they're actually purchasing me who are aware. So the conversion ratio there, how many are repeating that, are, that have tried me for the first time, those conversion metrics. So those need to be tracked over time because those are lead measures as to what the lag measure is going to be down the line in terms of sales and conversion. Um, we also find commercial mixed modeling, um, multi-touch attribution solutions. They were expensive several years ago. The prices are coming down. And I would rather invest for one of our brands, a couple hundred thousand in a platform that gives them richer insight into multi-touch and the full funnel um, than have them invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in advertising and bottom of the funnel and ultimately not go anywhere three years later. Um, so those are two metrics. Poor man's metric that I love is Amazon brand search. <laughs> you know, it's the number one product search engine in the US. Track your brand search over time. It is a cheap proxy for awareness. When I ran brand tracking, I could see my Amazon brand searches and my Google trends. You can also see what's going on. If your brand, I had a brand that was completely reliant on bottom of funnel performance advertising, and I could show them Google trends and Amazon search going straight into the ground. And I said, you're, this is not going to work. You are not, this is going to end badly for you unless you start building future demand that can be then harvested. Are you finding the characteristics of the human being that's willing to make this shift? Like, is there a difference or is, is you know, do you know what I mean? Like ultimately human yes. beings have to decide to get off the pipe. Sorry to extend your drug uh, analogy. You know, what, what are you finding? Like, what does it take to be the person that's going to do this fight? I mean, you, you definitely have to have someone um, open to listening. I mean, the, the challenge is what we all do, you know, Peter and Lauren, it is like 30 years ago, it seemed to be more straightforward and people could grasp it. But today, you know what, it is rocket science. It's incredibly yeah. complex. The way the consumer works to make decisions um, it is incredibly complicated. You've got to read Daniel Kahneman, um, Thinking Fast and Slow, to understand how the brain works. And it's not intuitive to understand that 95% of our decisions are made on the system one on a subconscious level without us ever even bringing rational thought in. Explaining that to a CFO is difficult. I would find the best leadership teams are open. You know, you can present this data, these concepts, these understanding. And I literally have taken this work research report about balancing, you know, future, the creation of future demand with demand capture to almost every one of my portfolio companies. I introduce it to them and I say, just let's just take a pause to what you are what you're doing right now, and I want to introduce a new idea. So there's, there's openness and humility that we all have to have in this business. What you yeah. thought you knew yesterday, if you think you know everything, that thought is the problem. You know, you have to be you know, humble that things are changing and that you've got to be able to adapt. So it's that adaptive mindset being open to new concepts and ideas. And humility. I, I really like humility. that too. Like yeah. nobody knows everything. <laughs> like even if you've been doing it for 20 years, that it's changed in the past month. Right. Every day. So, you guys have talked about that in previous podcasts. You were just yeah. talking about that with Kerry Masters, you know, on, on your podcast, where it's that humility. All of us in this business know if you think you thought you knew everything, then that is that is a problem and you are you are in trouble. Exactly. So John, you clearly haven't been thinking about this at all. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. job. I, mean, yeah. you know. I don't care much about it. Either, so. <laughs> so how is it affecting how you're giving brands advice and telling them how to partner and move forward? So, you know, again, we know we have to, you know, we look at the signals, we look for that addiction to the bottom of the line, you know, performance metrics, we look for the language that they're using. 
and a lot of times we just have to have you know conversations and and talk to them about and and present our point of view in the world and we do find we get response that way uh, unfortunately as i mentioned and james herman has talked about in in his in his white paper that often if you wait till till too late and that platform is already burning you know that you are your crops are looking like they're they're dusty and dried stalks then it's too late so you really have to you know um you know present the data to them and and help them understand it's education exactly what you guys are doing and then a and then a test and learn like you're not saying go spend every bit of your money over the you know what i mean i, exactly. I imagine you you set up a program that can start to give a sense that that this can work and exactly and, and I, what i'll tell you i'm most excited about is the evolution of new tools um particularly with amazon giving us more insight so we all know that amazon has been a great repository amazon knows um beyond what the short-term attribution i ran a sponsored um a sponsored search ad a consumer clicked on it and converted Amazon knows that that was not the only path that that consumer has taken, but it's it's been a while in terms of development to release that data. So Amazon just in October released something called uh, Amazon Brand Analytics. Uh, it was announced at Amazon Unboxed in October, and this is some pretty incredible uh, metrics. So essentially, Amazon is giving you data points, and they can show you. Uh, for example, a consumer who clicked and went only to your detail page by clicking on a sponsored search ad might be worth X. But a consumer who actually conducted a search and showed brand intent, like remembered a brand like Vital Proteins in the protein space, and then went to a detail page and converted, Amazon is now showing us the 12-month lifetime value. What is that consumer worth, not on the initial transaction, but over a 12-month period? And surprise, surprise, the consumer who clicked on a performance ad and converted is worth X. Well, we found for one of our brands that a consumer who did a search showed brand intent and then converted was, was worth three to four times more over 12 months than the consumer who just clicked on a performance ad. Wow. So Amazon is presenting that data. They also have Amazon Marketing Cloud, which is giving us data now and a view into, for example, a consumer who saw uh, an OTT ad uh, and then clicked on a sponsored search ad. And they're showing us data that, you know, that consumer is worth, you know, two to three times, two to three times more likely to convert, worth more as an outcome. Uh, and all it's these upper funnel um, ad tools that the CFO has always looked at and said, ah, oh, it's fluffy, there's no data. Well, Amazon Market Cloud and, and Advanced Brand Analytics are now giving us some insight into the long-term. It's almost like I describe it as the iceberg beneath the surface. And this iceberg beneath the surface is in play on platforms like Instacart. <laughs> you know, getting a consumer to convert once is just the tip of the iceberg, particularly if you get into buy it again on Instacart and the consumer purchases you again and again and then purchases in store. And, you know, because that's what my wife uses Instacart. She'll buy Oatly, you know, click on and buy there. But guess what? When she goes into, you know, Wegmans and Costco and Target and Whole Foods, She's also buying Oakley because <laughs> that's the way she works. You know, she's right. buying holistically in an omni-channel way. Well, it just makes me think that in these retail ad platform wars and sort of, you know, you have a retail war, you have a retail ad war, that the, the thing that's going to drive uh, a brand to decide where they're going to put their ad dollars probably has more to do with maybe even less than the size 
of the audience that the retailer is providing, but instead the data that they're providing on what's working and what's not. Exactly. And it's, it's the retail platforms who are closest to the point of purchase yeah. that are developing these mid and upper funnel tools. Like, you know, Amazon obviously, you know, has developed over the last decade, their programmatic tools for display and online video. And now it's all about streaming. You know, look at what uh, Amazon is investing in, in terms of, you know, um, uh, Amazon Prime, um, NFL Thursday Night Football. Um, they're vastly expanding the streaming because they ain't no dummies. They know this is where this is moving. They're marrying the purchase data with these upper funnel tools. And you look at Instacart, you know, there, there are amazing advances happening with Instacart ad tools right now. I know a number of folks who have moved from the Amazon advertising um, ecosystem over to Instacart. And they're now rapidly developing these more consideration and awareness level tools, display ads. And they're, you know, they're allowing, opening up this ability to influence consumers with much richer units that can allow for emotional resonance, you know, not just a product forward ad, but that can allow you to, to do storytelling. And that's really where the magic happens, happens is combining these lower funnel with the magic of storytelling, you know, conveying emotion and then seeing purchase data and then tying it all together with something like Amazon Marketing Cloud and, and brand analytics. And, and that's when marketing is fun. Yes. Like if, if your whole day is spent like trying to tweak little buttons all day long, and I'm not, I'm not denigrating that work, that's super important work, but it is that sprint and marathon that you want to be on the, the long run and you want to, to stand out and earn your margin. And, and I, I love this future demand thinking John, yeah, I mean, it's, really it's it, and it's great. And it's been a real help to us and our brands in terms of reframing their thinking about long term sustainable growth to become some of the legendary brands. You don't stall out ever after three or four years. You really hit that hyper growth um, that really drives long term revenue generation. So to close on, I mean, you, oh, sorry, go ahead, Lauren. I was just going to say, I think it also goes to the point of when you're a marketer, you are a marketer across all of your channels. A lot of times we talk about digital marketers or just a traditional marketer. No, you are a marketer now. Lauren, you, you were, to worry you were about. talking, we could talk for hours of this one. I know we don't yes. have a ton of time, but that's all about, I believe the future of marketing is more this hybrid person. They understand Agreed. retail channels. They understand building band, brand, building brand. You know, I was in charge of all advertising and, and media buy. I was building brand at the same time I was in charge of Amazon. And I understood that ecosystem. The best and most innovative brands are hybridizing this approach. It is like one unit and they are the SEAL Team 6 understanding demand capture, uh, demand generation, future demand. They've got all the pieces of the puddle, puzzle and they're executing quickly, which is why if you're a large brand, you want to be afraid of the SEAL Team 6 that's developing out there. And that's where careers come from. Exactly. And it, it doesn't stop at, at, uh, at e-commerce. That goes up to the C-suite. If, if you get this right and you understand this stuff, it's, it's the future leaders of, of, uh, of this industry. Exactly. And it's yeah. training and, yeah. it's, and it's teaching that this is where it's all moving and it's moving yeah. fast. Well, thank you for teaching us and, and uh, for this, uh, just this uh, amazing conversation in it. And all the way along, I've been taking notes about all these resources that you mentioned. So just to close, if you were to pick your, top two reading list about that will inspire sort of future demand thinking, where would you point people? So as we've talked about, I mean, start with this white paper, Rethinking Brand for the Rise in Digital Commerce. 
Um, you're going to have the link in the program notes. Yeah. It's from Work Research, W-A-R-C. It's a division of Essential. So you could go to work.com and, and download that, uh, that research paper. So start with that reading. Also, I've found um, Analytic Partners. They, they do commercial mixed modeling, multi-touch attribution. It's a mouthful, but they're essentially looking at the effectiveness, uh, effectiveness of advertising. When I spend a dollar, what does it return in terms of sales? Um, they have something called the ROI genome, which they've studied billions in ad spend over the last two decades. And Mike Menkez is one of the lead analysts there. He's done some great webinars. We actually brought him in to speak to our portfolio brands on our own internal CABU webinar. And he is great at articulating this idea of balancing future you know, demand capture with generation of future demand, the ratio of that, showing hard data from commercial mixed modeling about the, the, the effects of this and why your CFO can be happy because here's the data proving what you're doing is the right step. So I would go to those two sources first. So we'll have the links to the show notes. Uh, that sounds like someone we should have on a podcast. Someday. I would recommend <laughs> it. And I think Mike would love it. Mike Menkes would love it. So. Oh my gosh. Well, uh, so look forward to that. Hopefully we can convince Mike to come on and, and pile on top of this, this new movement. John, always a pleasure. Your work with the Digital Shelf Institute Executive Forum, uh, your kindness and sharing back with the community all the way along is it just speaks to who you are as a, as a person, as a member of the industry. But uh, I'm super excited about this. Uh, thank you so much. We're grateful. Great, great conversation. And thank you very much, guys. Thank you, John. Wow. What a conversation. Reading list in the show notes. We're working on future guests around this and so grateful to John for lighting this fire with us. Spread the word, share the episode, and thanks for being part of our community.